0: All right, we are in Luke 19, we're going to read verses 1 to 10. And you know I send out the outlines every week, usually on Wednesday or Thursday, so if you're not getting an outline or would like to get the outline, please give me your email and I will make sure I put you on the list. Just print it neatly uh, because some of you give me outlines and then God knows where it goes because I can't read it, but I try to send it out. So uh, if you're interested, let me know. And by the way, many of you have asked me if you can use my stuff uh, for your own Bible study. I don't copyright anything that I do. Uh, It's all open to be used by anybody. So please feel free to use it. Do your own Bible studies uh, and uh, Godspeed, because that's what this is all about. This isn't about getting credit. It's about spreading the word of God. And so we're in this ongoing series on evangelism by Jesus. And the idea is to look at how Jesus lived his life. How did he reach the lost? What were were the paradigms that Jesus is teaching us as he reached out to a lost world? Uh, And what we have seen is that, amazingly, Jesus has reached out to the very lowest rung of society. Those people who would be despised and put out of any synagogue, they put out, not embraced by the, by the so-called religious people, people who would be left out on the curb. And those were precisely the people Jesus reached out to. We saw that with the Samaritan woman at the well, M- multiple marriages, now living with somebody in sin, someone who, was, who would be again at the bottom rung of the social ladder. And yet that woman became the first evangelist uh, and, and brought the entire town back to Jesus, who then became saved. And so we're looking to see how God wants us to reach the lost world. And the problem for us is that many of us uh, have congregated in churches or with other people who have effectively put a wall around themselves. It's as if many of our churches have become fortress churches. And what do I mean by fortress churches? I mean they want to protect those who are in from those who are out. Uh, And I'm going to tell you that this is not the will of God. God does not want us to protect those from within from those who are without. God wants us to get the people who are on the sidewalk and the curb and bring them inside. Because the only way you are going to affect change in the hearts of the lost is to bring them in to the inside. It's only when they hear the word of God, when they see the impact of godly people, when they see the love of Jesus through you, that they will embrace the cross. This is your responsibility, and that's what I see. This has been placed heavily on my heart as I do this series, and today we're going to see another example of Jesus doing something that defies the expectations of the religious people. Jesus is going to come upon a man who is reviled at the very bottom of the social ladder, Zacchaeus a man who nobody would want to spend, no self-respecting Jew would want to be with Zacchaeus. Why? Because Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, meaning he was a collaborator with the Romans, meaning that if you had that position, effectively what it was was a license to steal, because here's what the franchise of being a tax collector was. It meant here... We expect to get X. Anything on top of X, you can keep for yourself. So you can imagine what it was like, how, how, how this was a position filled with bribes. And he was a, also the chief of the tax collectors, which meant that junior tax collectors kicked up to him. Uh, and so this is a, here you have a person who is reviled, despised, castigated, outside the norms. Nobody would want to be seen with this guy, except Jesus. Except Jesus, and that's what we're going to learn today. So look at Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And I love that last sentence. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came to seek and to save what was lost. You know, here's the point that you need to know as we begin this study. This is in the Gospel of Luke. Luke was one of the greatest historians in the history of the world. This, Luke wrote this probably somewhere between 10 and 12 years after Jesus died. Luke went back and interviewed the original eyewitnesses. Everything that's in the Gospel of Luke is eyewitness accounts, going back uh, and getting it firsthand. Uh, And I'm certain that in the course of doing this, I believe that Luke probably interviewed Zacchaeus, went back there and spoke to him, because we're seeing things here that you wouldn't generally know about. Now, uh, my son tells me that in his theological studies uh, that, that many commentators believe that Zacchaeus was probably a dwarf uh, because it's interesting, when you think about it, you figure that the average height of of a Jewish person during this period of time was probably 5'4 or 5'5. Five, five. Uh, and yet Zacchaeus couldn't see over those people, and it says he was short. And so most likely, he was uh, a dwarf. is exceedingly short, and he climbs up into this tree. Um, and so there's much for us to to know know in this story. Now, one of the first things that, that strikes me in this story as Jesus is passing through Jericho, he's headed to Jerusalem for the last time. Last time. Because now he's going to be going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Um, he's going to be hailed as the Messiah. There are crowds in Jericho as he's walking. There's crowds. People are coming to see who Jesus is, and they believe that he may, in fact, be the Messiah and they believe that their Messiah is going to be a great warrior king who's going to set them free from Rome. And so now they're crowding around Jesus, and Jesus is walking down the streets in Jericho. Um, And now he sees this guy up in a tree, and Jesus knows his name. Now, there are probably thousands of people there at that moment, and yet Jesus looks up in the tree And Jesus says it by name. Zacchaeus, come down. I know your name. I know who you are. I see your heart. I'm coming to your house today. Now, this strikes me, first of all, that God would make it so clear that he would recognize somebody by their name. He sees this person, this despised sinner, this person so outside the norm's Of society, and yet God knows him by name, and God is going to reach out to him by name to bring him into the kingdom of God. Now, what an extraordinary lesson that is for us that God would show us how we are to act. And when I think about my own life, I have to ask myself have I done that when I've seen people that might have been homeless, or people coming out of prison, uh, or people who are living a reckless, dissolute life? Uh, and have I, have I embraced them in love? Have I welcomed them to my home? Have I shown them that I want, I want to express the love of Jesus? Frankly, I have to say probably not. Probably not. And that's a failure on my part. And now God is speaking to my heart that I need to live this way. I need to live in a different way, that God expects me to reach out to lost people, even people who are not like I am. And one of the things that I want to impress upon you is this, and you guys know this well, have you seen anywhere in the scriptures where God gives you a point system for sin? Let me know if you have. I'd like to know. You know, really, we've talked about this before, but you know, all right, murder, bad, that's 10 points, okay. Adultery, that's bad, that's probably eight points, okay. Okay. Stealing, Mm, bad, that's probably eight points, right? All right, Uh, gossiping, slander, Mm, not so bad. Maybe only five points. You know, we do that all the time. And as I say, stealing from the government, that's a bonus position. You (laughs) You get points back because after all, they just took your money, so you're just taking it back. You know how we think. I mean, now you're getting the whole mindset of humanity. How about this one? How about homosexuality? Where's that? Mm, That's maybe 11 points. How wrong are we where we have effectively made this determination that God has not determined? Do you understand? You have pronounced judgment. You have become a fruit inspector instead of being a love person. You have looked at the world and pronounced judgment on people all right, Because it, it really violates your sensibility. You're not raised like that. You don't speak like that. And you see this, and you are offended, and instead of embracing these people with love, you, you embrace them with revulsion. All right? And this is exactly what Jesus is teaching us today. If Jesus could take this guy, take this guy who was at the very bottom of the rung Uh, in Judea, who was a collaborator with the Romans, who was a thief, all right, who was a thief, and yet Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. I want you to reflect on what that meant. It's the only place that I see where Jesus actually Uh, makes an invitation, I'm coming to your house. He He will do other places where he will invite people to other people's houses, to his disciples' houses or his friends' house. But here he says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Why does Jesus say that? Because you understand this, that in that first century custom, that going to someone's house was the ultimate intimate relationship. When you would go and eat with someone, That was an expression of the fact that you wanted to have an intimate relationship with them, And so here's Jesus, looked at by many people as the coming Messiah, and yet here he is saying, I want to be with you today. I want to come to your house. And so what this is showing us is that if we want to bring people to the Lord, we need to establish relationships. People have to see the love of God. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, John, that's Jesus, man. That's Jesus. It's not me. No, Jesus is telling us how to live, how he wants us to live, and what it means to see this. Uh, and so Jesus doesn't care about the crowd. Jesus doesn't care about what other people think. They can, they can say, you know, he's eating with sinners. Here's what I think when I hear people say he's eating with sinners. Have you looked in the mirror? Have you looked seriously in a mirror? Have you actually reflected on your own life? We've spoken about this. None of us lives perfectly according to the law. We're all violating the law every day. I told you that even before I get out of bed, I'm already sinning as I'm laying in bed thinking about the day and who I'm going to encounter. I'm already committing sins in my mind. And Jesus has told us that the sins of the thought and the sins of the mind are as bad as the sins that you commit physically. There's no difference. There you go. There's that point system. There's no difference. And so here he is. They're saying, you know, how could he do this? How could he eat with sinners? How could he live like this? And yet Jesus is saying, this is who I came to seek, the lost, those who recognize that they're lost, those who have a tremendous need. Uh, And so you see this here, and Jesus now says, I'm going to your house. I I would bet that that collection of people at the house of Zacchaeus must have been some incredible collection. I bet that pretty much all of his friends were fellow tax collectors. It's pretty hard to believe that he would have any friends who would be within the typical norms of society. And yet, you know what? Jesus is saying, that's good. That's good. That's exactly who I want to see. That's exactly who I want to meet. Uh, and so the reason for the crowd's uh, complaints is that the actions of Jesus are totally unacceptable and even outrageous. Jesus is breaking not only the social customs, but also the religious and moral laws of his times. You know, the Jews made it a point of separating themselves from Gentiles all right? Separating themselves from Gentiles, even to the point that when they came back from the marketplace, after going out and getting what they needed, inevitably they would come across Gentiles. They would come home and engage in what was called the ceremonial washing. They needed to wash off the possible influence in any way of Gentiles as unclean, all right? And so Jesus is completely trashing that custom and background. Uh, And so Jesus is making himself socially, ritually, and religiously unclean by going to Zacchaeus' house under their standards, under their norms, but not the norms of our divine God, not how God wants us to live. To try to understand this reaction, I want you to reflect back on the words of Peter when he goes to the Gentile Cornelius. Look, if you would, to Acts chapter 10. Verse 28, and now he's coming to the, to the home of Cornelius, and Cornelius is a centurion. This is a man who is highly respected in Roman society. He's the leader of a, a large group of soldiers. He's a centurion. And so now God has prepared Cornelius to seek Peter. He's filled with his household. He brought his household together to hear the message of God. And look at verse 28. He said to them, this is Peter, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Underline it. I should not call any man impure or unclean. It's important to understand this. All right? And so you see that. So what Jesus is doing at this moment, uh, what Jesus is doing is is much worse than what Peter found to be unlawful. Because what Peter found to be unlawful was merely a Gentile. This now effectively is a criminal, a collaborator, one who violates all the sensibilities of any self-respecting Jew. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus sets aside custom and law. He doesn't care what people say. He doesn't care about the customs of Jews. Why? Because it was not the directive of God himself. Jesus understood that we weren't called to be fruit inspectors. And one of the things that I love about Jesus is I never hear him pronounce the judgment of of sentence, the judgment of loser, the judgment of you're going to hell. The judgment of you are the worst thing I've ever seen. I don't see Jesus saying that. I don't see Jesus saying the very things that we see many of us in our relationships with other people pronounce on a regular basis. Really. And by the way, I'm not saying that we elevate the sin. No, we don't elevate the sin. I'm the first one to understand what the Scripture says about certain codes of conduct. But we elevate the human aspect behind the sin. We elevate the sinner. We see the lost person. And what we want to convey is the love of God, because here's what I believe, that if you bring the lost people into the congregation of God, into the the relationship with other people, the Holy Spirit will speak to them. The Holy Spirit will convict them. And here's the thing. It's not your job to convict them. It's your job to gather them, collect them and to bring them in love, in love. And as you love them and wrap your arms around them and respect them with dignity, with dignity and respect, the Holy Spirit begins to convict them and speak to them. And so these laws that the Jews set up were designed really to foster and maintain religious and moral separation and purity. And Jesus dismisses it. Jesus dismisses it. Uh, I'm reminded of a story that was told by Larry Thompson, the senior pastor of uh, Fort Lauderdale Baptist Church, that my son served there for a number of years. And Larry Thompson was a terrific guy. Larry Thompson told this story, true story, that he was standing one time at McDonald's, and right in front of him was a guy who obviously had just come out of jail. And he was holding the, the certificates that the jail gave them in order to get the first couple of meals. And one of them was for McDonald's. Uh, and the, this poor soul hands the certificate in to pay for his meal. Uh, and the person behind the counter says, we don't accept those anymore. Those are no good here. And now here's this guy trying to come back into society. He can't, he can't even get a meal. And Larry Thompson behind him says, no, 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 he's with me. He's with me. Uh, that's part of, of my check. And Larry pays, pays this check. And the and, uh, uh, guy thanks him, and Larry didn't think any more of it. Larry walks out to the parking lot. And as Larry got to the parking lot, he said he had the. Uh, uh, suddenly a hand was placed on his shoulder of this g- extremely large, large human being, like six foot eight, who said to him, Well done. serve the Lord. And, and Larry put his keys into the car. And when he turned around, the guy was gone, disappeared, disappeared. All right. Now Larry told me that story. That's a true story. Meaning what? It shows you the fact that it's God's will that these are the kind of people we need to reach out for. You understand? This is what God wants you to do. He wants you to be the hands and feet of God. This is who we reach out to. Look, we're not reaching out to people who don't think they have a need. We're not reaching out to people who think they have though, that they're perfect, that they've fulfilled all the commandments. We're reaching out to the people who are lost, who are at the very bottom of the rung, who nobody wants to have anything to do with. That's why I told you that I'm so proud of my son because he's, he's opened his church to have a number of, of people who are gay coming into that church. I told you that. Now, he doesn't honor that lifestyle or say that that's appropriate. He doesn't have to do that, but he embraces those people and tells them that the love of Jesus is around them. Now, don't you recognize that when people like that sit in the congregation of God, and hear the word of God, that over some period of time, within the timeline of God, not necessarily your timeline, which was yesterday, within the timeline of God, that God will speak to them and convict to them. Don't you think that? I know that. And so that's it. I told you that when those, that first couple came Uh, they wrote a note to to my son saying, thank you so much, we enjoyed your service. And my son called him back and said, we were delighted to have you. He said, I hope uh, you and your partner come back. And he then was told by this young man that he had visited 10 other churches in the Fort Lauderdale area and always wrote that card and never once received a note back or a call back by any of the other churches except when my son did it. Why? Because they're reviled. The churches aren't interested in bringing those people here. You understand? It's outside of their purview. We don't want to make the congregants feel squirrely. I know, some of you are squiggling in your seat right now. I can see it. Let me tell you something, folks. Buckle up. Because Jesus is teaching us things that that does make our hair curl. It's not how I would like it. It's not how I would prefer it. I like being with my own kind. Well, get over it, folks. Because Jesus has called you to be with the world, to be with the sinners, to be with the outcasts, to be with the lost, to extend the kingdom of God to people who never, ever would have the chance to hear it. And you do it by relationships. You do by embracing them, by bringing them in. You don't embrace the sin. You don't embrace the, the necessarily the lifestyle, but you embrace the person. You show them God himself. Look at how Jesus has done this with, with, with this man, Zacchaeus. All right, look at this. This is the lesson to learn here, how God is teaching you. Every one of you are going to leave here today. You're going to go out into this world, and you're going to come across people that are outside your normal radar, and you're not going to feel comfortable with it. Well, I'm telling you right now, get comfortable with it. Get comfortable with it. You need to speak to people in love. You need to show them that that you are a child of God, that you're a sinner yourself. How's that? How's that? How can you act like that? Because you've looked in the mirror this morning, and when you've looked in the mirror, you've seen Jesus looking back at you. And you're not looking at your neighbor, Herb, down the street, a philanderer, an adulterer. You're not looking at Herb. You're not comparing yourself to Herb. You're comparing yourself to Jesus. And when you compare yourself to Jesus, your face is in the dust. Your face is in the dust. And you ask God for mercy and help you. I mean, that's what this is about. And so here it is, Jesus embracing the outcast, embracing the needy. Uh, And these social barriers meant nothing to the Lord. Nothing, absolutely nothing. He had a complete passion for the lost. Look further at Luke 19, just in the same passage. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That was the very reason that Jesus had come to this world. That was the essence of, of his mission, to save the lost. That's what it was about. Now, now let's, I want you to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's making it very clear he is God. He's making it very clear in that sentence, I am the Lord. He's talking about the Son of Man, which was Daniel, had used that expression 700 years before, 600 years before, that the Son of Man would come to seek and to save, meaning that the Son of Man would not be a prophet, he would be the Son of God himself, That was the designation that Daniel put on him in that prophecy, the Son of Man. Now, I want you to turn to Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and on all the mountains of Israel. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will be down in in good grazing land and there will be feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign, Lord, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bring up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And the congregation said, amen, amen. That's Jesus telling you what his call is. That's Ezekiel telling a prophecy of what the Son of Man would do, seeking out the lost, seeking out the lost, and bringing the lost back no matter where they were. And if you read this whole chapter in Ezekiel, it's contrasted with the bad shepherds, those who didn't go after the lost, those who didn't tend the sheep, those who left the flock. And those bad shepherds were effectively the false teachers and leaders of Israel, who had been filled really with wrong laws and wrong customs, who didn't do the will of God for hundreds of years. And now Jesus comes to set it straight. Jesus comes to bring the lost. And so it's under, you, know, you need to understand this. And you even see it in, a, in the parables where, where we read the parable where, where Jesus talks about the shepherd that had 100 sheep and one walked away, and he left the 99 in place to go and seek the one who was left and lost. And as he goes out and gets that one that was lost, he brings that back that lost sheep who didn't have the strength to walk back, who was fatigued and exhausted who had gone out astray, and yet the shepherd takes that sheep and puts him on his shoulders, and walks back with that sheep on his shoulders. Can you imagine how great our God is? Honestly, think about where you were, where you would be without the intervention of God. And now I know, I look out and I see a respectable group of people, but you know what you were before, and I ask you to reflect on that and reflect on where you would be without the intervention of Jesus Christ. And now you've got to see a world with the same spectacles through Jesus. You need to have the filtering lens of Christ on as you look out in the lost. This is really heavy on my heart. Really. I mean, I wish every one of you would leave here with, with this message on your heart this week, that God is saying to you, find the lost reach the outcast. Look at those people who are outside, the kind of people you would normally speak to, the kinds of people that many of our churches don't want inside, because it respects our, because it violates our sensibilities. Well, guess what? Jesus doesn't care about your sensibilities. Jesus cares about your heart, and that's what we're designed to care about. And so by quoting these verses both verse 10 in Luke 19 and Ezekiel 34, which effectively Jesus is referencing, Jesus is announcing both his divinity and the very purpose of his coming. And this is important to understand it this week. He is making the claim that he is the Lord God, Yahweh. He is the true shepherd of the people. He is the one who will seek and will save. He sets aside his moral and religious outrage And does not count our sins against us, but takes those sins and counts it against him because he's gonna nail that to him when he's on the cross. You understand what this is about this week? That's what it's about. That's why Jesus wants you to go out. Look, you're not saving anybody. Let's not get into the saving business where you think it's your responsibility to save people. You will never save a single person, but you will bring the lost to Jesus, and he will save. He will restore. He will uplift. And I hope you understand this message. And so Jesus doesn't count those sins against us. He gives us an opportunity to accept him, and by accepting him, to give him our sins, to wash our sins away. It's the very reason why he went to the home of Zacchaeus. And so this action really should cause you to reflect right now, cause you to reflect with the way you're living your life. How, what am I doing, Father? Am I walking in your way? Am I speaking to people that I need to speak to? Have I disdained people, Lord, that I shouldn't have disdained? When I see someone who is clearly disconsolate, uh, and left alone and, and, and despised? Do I go over to that person and embrace them and try to bring them mercy and justice? Do I try to help them, Lord? Do I show the love that you have given me? Do I show that? Uh, because here's the point. Jesus treated the sinner with dis- dignity and respect. You didn't see Jesus saying to Zacchaeus, look, look, I know who you are. You're a loser. You're a thief. I'm going to your house today. (laughs) What? You've just insulted me. I know what I am. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus doesn't do that. And so here's the point, folks. Here's the point. If you want to embrace Christ, and you want other people to see Christ in you as you bring the gospel to a lost world, they have to see that you love them and care for them and treat them with dignity and respect. Even when you find people that may make you feel uneasy, even when you're with people that somewhat violate your sensibilities. Well, you know what Jesus says? Get new sensibilities. Get some new sensibilities. Because those old sensibilities were with the old man. You've been saved. You now know you were a sinner, but for the grace of God, but for the mercy of God, you understand this. And so Jesus brings the message of love and repentance. And so look look at how, how <laughs> Zacchaeus responds. I mean, I, I love this. Um, and, and you see it is here in the middle of everything, people muttering, people saying Jesus is a loser, how could he do this? And in the middle of this, he goes to Zacchaeus' house. He goes to Zacchaeus' house, and when you read this passage, it could be a little bit... uneasy in terms of understanding it, because it says here in verse 7, all the people saw this, that Jesus was going to the home of a sinner and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Then it says in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now let's understand something. When I was a kid and I read this, here's the thing that I thought. Oh, okay, Zacchaeus, he just came down out of the crowd. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus says at that moment, hey, Lord, I'm giving four times of my goods to the the poor. Anybody that I've defrauded, I'm paying back four times. That's not what took place. What took place is Jesus went to his house. You understand? That's not clear here. But I can tell you through the Holy Spirit, I believe it's evident. He went to his house. He spent the day there with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, surrounded by the mercy and love and dignity and respect of God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, suddenly, at the end of the day, says, Lord, Lord, look, look here and now. This isn't the end of a long afternoon. You don't understand this. There's no way a guy who was the the tax collector in the morning gets down off the tree and says this. It's only having been embraced by Jesus that he says this. Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anybody, anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. That's what happens when you come face to face with Jesus. That's the point. This is what God has called us to do. And so as you embrace this world that's lost, you embrace the despised, the social outcast, uh, it's important for you to understand that this is the paradigm. This is how Jesus wants you to live. This is what Jesus wants you to do. And I want you to look first also at Revelation chapter 3. Turn back there. Revelation 3. Verse 20, verse 19, we'll start there. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. These are the words of Jesus. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with me and he with me. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone, anyone who will open that door, and eat with me, I will be with him. There it is. Anyone, without restriction, doesn't matter where you are on the food chain, where you are, if God is there with you, you have seen the justice and mercy and dignity and love of God, then God is telling you, he calls you. Now, many of us have been in churches, raised in churches, where we have been told that we need to separate ourselves from the world, right? Right? You need to be a peculiar people. I was, that was drilled into me my whole life. Peculiar people. See, I thought peculiar people were people that don't go to movies, don't go to bowling alleys, don't go to bars. You understand? All right? You understand? Don't dance, don't play cards. How's that? Is that pretty peculiar? It was pretty peculiar for me because I became a social outcast. You understand that? I know that others of you have been raised like that. Let me tell you flat out, that's not what God means by peculiar. That's weird. God doesn't want you to be weird, but peculiar is to have the love of Jesus in your heart, so that when you see the social outcast, instead of having moral outrage, you're filled with love and you embrace them. Guess what? That's peculiar. That's peculiar. And so I want you to turn, if you would, uh, as as we see these verses that are somewhat misunderstood, um, and they're in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's get this out so, we, so that instead of somebody coming up to me afterwards and giving it to me, I'll play the, the advocate for the other side. All right? I just want you to know I know the other argument, and I'm going to blast it right now. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Now, here's the deal. He's speaking to the Corinthian Church, it has become a cesspool. It has become a cesspool. There's incest going on, and people are, are, are violating every sensibility that you can imagine in that church. And so they have moved away from what they were told was the work of God, and they have now embraced a culture that is the world's culture. They are not living up to the standards that God wants. And here's the point. Even as you embrace the lost, even as you give them dignity and respect, you still maintain the standards of God. We don't go and take that culture up, but we love them and, and embrace them and yet honor God. Look at verse 14 here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And I told you that that primarily relates to marriage. And that's important to understand that. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And yes, amen, that's exactly right. And that's how Jesus lived, and Jesus used respect and dignity, but he didn't live their lifestyle, okay? So the point of it is that we don't become partners in that lifestyle. We don't embrace the sin. We don't walk in sin. We walk in the light of God, but we embrace them in love. Oh my God, this week, more than any other week, when you see the ultimate act of love on the cross, when you recognize that God himself Bankrupted heaven, bankrupted heaven in order to save you, put his own son, God himself, on the cross, and you now have sensibilities that you don't like to have violated? Stand at the cross and look at Jesus and tell him that. Stand at the cross and tell Christ that my sensibilities are offended. God is speaking to you today about this. This is an important message. I don't want any one of you to leave here today without recognizing that God is calling you to a new way of embracing the lost. God wants you, as people come across your radar screen and they come into your life, people that normally wouldn't be the kind of people that you reach out to, God wants you today to embrace them with respect, with dignity, without pronouncing judgment, and to bring them into the family of God to show them what it means to have love and mercy and respect, to show them what it means to know that you're going to go to heaven, to show them what it means to be saved, not that you become a fruit inspector, but you become someone that dispenses the love of Jesus Christ. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for this week. We thank you so much for the event that changes the history of this world. And so, Lord, I ask you that you touch our hearts. And we embrace this message, that we know what it means to be a Christian. And it means more than anything else that we love you. And we want to be your men. We want to embrace the lost, the social outcasts, those people who are morally at the bottom of the food chain. And do it as you did, God to love them in dignity and respect and bring them in to the family of God. And yet, let you, through the Holy Spirit, convict them. Be with our men. Let this message resonate this week in our hearts, Lord. Let us reflect every more, every Sunday, especially this Sunday, what it means that you defeated death for us, Lord. We can never thank you enough. Protect our men. Be with them. Give them a chance to show their love to you, Father, this week and protect them, and bring them back to continue the study of your word in two weeks. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I bless you.